Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome back to the Coach HP channel. You see me throwing punches like this because today, on today's show, we have, listen, I'm a lover, not a fighter. On today's show, we have the one and only director of communication from Showtime. He involved with boxing, was involved in the zone, was involved with HBO Sports, was involved with the MLB, rose to the top through all adversity, lost his parents at a young age. Nothing makes me more prouder to present to you guys this episode with my brother, my boy, Greg Domino. Please, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel that's bring you endless passion over and over and over again. All walks of life, I don't care if you're an author, an entrepreneur, an athlete, a politician, whoever it is, we're gonna find you, bring you on the show. Episode 97 of the Coach HP Show with Greg Domino. Let's go. Three, two, one, boom, and we are on. Greg, to me, man, the the amount of respect I have for you and the passion that I see in what you have in everything that you do, bro, where did that come from, man? I really appreciate that, first of all, and thanks for, for having me on the show. I, I appreciate I'm always on the other side of these things. Uh, you know, I, I'm the one setting them up usually. Um, it just, it's come from, uh, you know, a life of, of ups and downs and, you know, you you get forced into situations where you, uh, you need to prevail and you need to work hard and, and, uh, and passion comes from, from that hard work. And, and I'm fortunate enough to work in a, in a field that's fun. I, I never complain about my job. Sometimes my wife, you know, wants me to complain about it and I'm like, yeah. How can you complain when you love what you do? So it's uh, it, it's easy, and I'm I'm fortunate to have landed where I have. Dude, I see a lot of giant stuff back there. <laughs> is is Lawrence Taylor the greatest giant of all time? Oh, I think so. I, yeah, he has to be. I mean, I was I was so young when he was playing, but his memory lives on so so strongly. Uh, it, it, I mean, he's he was amazing, best giant ever. But uh, I did have this argument the other day that that uh, as you'll see over this shoulder, Odell. Uh, Odell, even though his, his stint was short and his, uh, his flame may have burned out a little bit since his time with the Giants, I, I feel like he has to be the most talented, gifted, like physically gifted player to ever touch the field uh, in East Rutherford. Do you still follow, now thinking about it, do you still follow, uh, is it Steve Weatherford, the, the ex-punter now turned like motivational guy, whatever, do you follow his stuff at all or no? Oh, Weatherford, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I did follow him for a while. I, I think I still follow him on Instagram, but he's, he's a good dude. I mean, you know, I, I love the, I love the people who have who've turned, uh, you know, a career on the field into something bigger off the field. He's a, uh, he's a good dude. And I mean, has there ever been a punter who is in better shape than no, that guy's out of control? No, you got to see him now. 
That dude now is insane. Is he's, it? Oh, he's out of control. He's he's whatever he's on. I think he's on the same thing as The Rock, bro. Those guys are yeah. on the same cocktail. And uh, it's, yeah. Hey, I need I need one of those. That's what I need. It's out of control, bro. Is is your nemesis number one? Is it the Jets? No, no, it's the NFC East. It's the whole. I mean, now now it's the. It used to be the Cowboys for a long time, but now it's it's got to be the Eagles. It's just. Just something about Eagles fans since they started winning and when they won their Super Bowl, it, it all just shifted and and we're so close in proximity, right? Like we're ninety miles down the down the uh, ninety five here. Uh, my friend who I have season tickets with is his uh, his name is Matt, my best friend forever. He lives down in Philly, so like whenever I go down and see him, we get that dose of just you know Eagles stuff everywhere. And so it's uh, <laughs> it, it's. But the good thing is they're not very good either right now. No, no one in the NFC East is really. So, Greg, when you're down there, do you rock your giant stuff or you go oh, neutral? Hard. No, I rock. I rock it everywhere. Everywhere. It's, it's always been my thing. Even when I was like younger, and uh, he, my friend, he used to live up in Boston too before he lived in Philly. And I would go up to Boston. I wear my Yankees hat proudly everywhere. I'd get, I'd get taunted, and you know, you'd have the verbal articulations. But like, I, <laughs> it's part of being a fan. You gotta, you gotta represent. Hell yeah. Whatever. Wherever you are, are you are you bigger Yankees or Giants? Giants, Gi- Giants, as evidenced by this this uh, this basement. But you know, being a Yankee fan is a little different. Like there's there's, there's no chip on our shoulder, right? I think it, it, that that's something that can extend to just being a like a human in any walk of life. But like as a, as a Yankee fan, there's not much of a chip on your shoulder. We were so successful as a as an organization, 27, 27 World Series, and you know, a laundry list of players. I was arguing with someone who's a Mets fan the other day. I'm like, the the Yankees get to about their 25th best player ever before we hit the best Met of all time. And it's just, there's no comparison there. So being a Giants fan, you have the chip on your shoulders, more of it. With with the Yankee fan, you just, if you have a bad season, you're like, ah, you know, what's what's a bad season when you're so successful? Who is the best Met of all time, by the way? I I don't know. Is it it Tom Seaver? Is that... Probably it's probably it's right because it, Nolan Ryan, even though he started with the Mets, didn't right. didn't enter long. So it, it would probably be. Dude, Mike, I mean, Mike Piazza. I mean, they they idolize Mike Piazza, but even him. Yeah, like, but he's a Dodger. He started right, off as a Dodger. Right. right? He blew yeah. off. Yeah, of course they idolize him. He blew up as a Dodger, dude. I think because even the guys, even the team that was heavy stacked in the eighties, had a lot Very, of people that fell off. Man, yeah, yeah, that right. that, that they didn't go where they should have gone, you know? So, yeah, you're right, dude. Because yeah. even look, Gary Carter, who was a beast, right. didn't didn't pop off. Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, all those guys. You know, even Keith Hernandez, who was good, right. never never got to, to that status, bro. Yeah. You, man, you're – by the way, you've sent me the best bio in the history, bro. You – I I know <laughs> – when I saw, dude, when I saw you do that, I go, this guy is efficient and he crushes it as his job. <laughs> we have a lot of similarities. We have a lot of differences, but a lot of similarities, man. Mine, I had an uncle who had the same thing your dad had. Okay. And he, and I'm sure it is that something that you develop during life or you're born with? Uh, he was diagnosed, my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when he was 27. It was around the same time that he had me. Um, he was normal before. Yeah, he was normal. He was, you know, played football, football through high school and, you know, worked a a job with his hands labor. So like it it was in, you know, taking away from that. And then 
uh, even then it, it didn't really, I didn't really see it start to affect him until maybe I was 10. So maybe, you know, 10 years after I was born, um, it, it really started, he started, you know, needing to use a cane and, and all of this sort of thing. Cause it's a degenerative disease. It just takes time to develop. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I know some other people who have had it and have fought it, you know, fought against it. And, and I, I guess everyone is different, but like, I know a guy who has MS has had it for 10 years and runs marathons, you know? So, wow. uh, it, you know, sometimes you succumb to different injuries. Like my, my dad, he, he started using cane around like when I was around 10 and then around like 13 or 14, he had an accident at work and, and like fell out of a truck and broke his arm, broke his leg. And then it just, he was never really able to regain the use of that arm or that leg in the same way, just because of the, because of the illness. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't think you're born with it, but I think, you know, it, it can be genetic and something that I always have in the back of my mind, like, you know, if it's genetic, let me, let me maximize every day I have on this earth, you know? Hell yeah, bro. Hell yeah. You growing up, man, seeing your dad in that kind of shape, was your dad the kind of guy that he was with you 24 seven? Was he absent because he was working all the time? How was he? No, my dad was always, uh, he was, he was, uh, my dad was amazing. Uh, can't say enough that I lived with my dad. My parents got divorced. I lived with my dad, uh, from like seven on and, and he worked a lot. He was, he was a volunteer fireman. And then, uh, he worked as a, uh, he worked in a fire related, like filling up fire extinguishers and that sort of thing, like inspecting fire extinguishers. And he always worked in that, in that field. Um, and you know, he worked, but he would take, I remember him taking me to work and, you know, I was filling CO2 tanks and all that stuff. He was always around and, you know, he had a motorcycle and, you know, do yard work and men manual labor and all like, you know, just always, I was always with him. Uh, so he was, he was always a, a presence, you know, in, in my life. When he started to get sick, Greg, did that affect you at all? Uh, yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did because he was like, you know, he's the coach of my baseball team and coach of my football team as a kid. And as a coach, you, you understand like how intimate that is. Cause like, yeah. you know, the coach is when you're the coach's son, right. It's, it's different. So you have, you know, 10 or 11 of your, your, your friends, your best friends in the neighborhood, uh, there with you. And, you know, you see your dad now he has a cane and, you know, a 10 year old, you know, either, either you're like the bully who's like, Oh, what, what the hell's wrong with him? Or, or, you know, like, oh, man, his dad is sick. Don't say anything. Uh, and uh, it, it definitely affected me a little bit because I just saw what he was going through. And he was such an active, you know, he had, had a motorcycle. He's always taking me out to do things. Yeah. And he was so active in my life. And and then, you know, it just started to, to whittle away at him over time. And uh, one thing that I always struggle with, not, struggled with then that, that I've come to terms with now is, like, I was – you know, 14 years old or whatever, not really able to understand like why he was succumbing to the disease and like letting it overpower him. Like I remember, I remember the day that he got a, a wheelchair, like it was yesterday. Right. It was like, I was like, why do you, you don't need that? You don't need, you don't need that. Right. And, uh, it, he did, you know, I, but like That's to crazy. me, I was like, no, just like, you know, power through, you know? And, and I have that same mentality now about like myself, like, you know, I, I, I love to run and it's like, if I feel like a nagging, you know, and my hamstring or something, I'm like, nah, nah I'm, I'm going to run through that. Like nothing <laughs> can stop good. me, you know, like, and yeah, then yeah. you try to, you try to extend that mentality to everywhere, every, you know, different parts of your life, it's, you know, working too many hours a day. Like, no, I, I can finish this today. It, it, this sort of thing. So it did, it did affect me that he, you know, he had that. And, uh, but you know, 
it, it's it's it taught me a lot about myself in the process. Absolutely, bro. See, I was the worst man. I I, I mean the reverse. I wish I would have seen my dad in a kid because I would. My dad prepared me for everything in life, bro, except to deal with him. This, okay. This dude beat the shit out of me like a lot because I used to fail in baseball and I was one of the uh -huh. best, but he just couldn't take it, dude. And his like, he would peacock through my baseball thing. That was like his thing, you know? And I hate, and he had me trapped with him 24 seven. And I right. hated to go with him to places because we'd always go to the stupidest places in the world. Home Depot, like places that I don't step foot in as an adult, man. So I always, man, I'm always empathetic and curious to see other kids that that they don't have that presence over them like I did, bro. Like I didn't, I couldn't even grow out my hair. I couldn't even have a beard because my dad was controlling of everything, dude. So, so it's right. interesting that you have that uh, that point of view, man. When you graduate high school. You start thinking of college. What do you want to do with your life? What are you thinking about back then? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one because I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I had like one mission when I was in high school because I wasn't really a great student and it wasn't, it was a work ethic thing. It wasn't even like I, I didn't have the chops to do it. I just didn't really want to do it. And, but my goal was like, I just need to get into a college and get out of this, this town. I lived in a right. little suburban town in North Jersey and, and, uh, you know, had a lot of friends who, you know, grew up with. And I just, I just saw the development of, of a lot of friends. And I just saw like, I just don't want to, you know, I'll stay in touch with who I need to stay in touch with. And I still do to this day. And there's, I have a lot of friends back home, but you know, I saw the development of a lot of my close friends and I saw them going down rabbit holes of, you know, not, not wanting to go to college, not, you know, getting into drugs and whatnot. And I was like, I just right. need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> and wherever right, I can right. get accepted to college wise is, that's where I'm going. And I got, I got accepted to a couple of colleges and end up staying in New Jersey because the financial aid was much better to stay in, in New Jersey. And uh, right. so that's what I did, but you know, I, I didn't know what I, I didn't know. I wanted a career in sports. Of course you say that, but I was like, eh, you know, I, I don't know what I really want to do. So when I, it, it's funny though, when I went to college, I realized I, I was, I was strong in English, but I didn't really want to, sit around and read hamlet you know for four years fuck and, shakespeare bro right right like <laughs> what am i gonna do like what am i gonna write a book or I, like i didn't so i was like they said oh well, if you don't want to do that do communication so i did that for a uh you know a year but then i i had this like switch that went off i was like i just know how to be rich so i just went pre-law and i was like if i'm become a lawyer, i all i know like lawyers are rich so lawyers if i can become rich, a lawyer huh? then i can become i'll be rich too you took the LSAT and everything or no? No, I didn't. I, uh, so I, I took my, uh, I, I went pre-law at, at St. Peter's where I went to college and, uh, and I, I just, I took my first two law classes and I hated it. And it, I had some, St. Peter's is a Jesuit school in New Jersey with very, most of the teachers, uh, professors are, are, uh, are Jesuit, older Jesuit priests and, uh, wow. their teaching style is, is efficient. But when it came to law, it was just like, I realized pretty quickly, like, this isn't, this isn't what's this isn't the right decision right like right. Was one of the first moments in my life where i was like being rich yes that's that's definitely the goal is to not be where i was as like a kid and not you know be i, I want more for myself and my future kids but uh but i just realized like this isn't law isn't my isn't what i want to do so i 
I stayed with the pre-law because I was already kind of into it. There's a political science degree. And then I uh, I went to my, I, I got a job at a law, law firm, also hated it. And then went to uh, my, my career counselor one day and I was like, hey, can you help me get another job? Because I hate this law job. I hate my law classes and I don't want anything to do with it. And, uh, and she, she helped, she, she was like, you know, we just got a, uh, we just, we just had this former alumni come in here from major league baseball and he's trying to get an internship in the PR department over there. And I know you used to be communication. So would you be interested in applying? And I was like, absolutely. And, and, uh, I, I went and applied and I got the, the, the job interview and then went on vacation for two weeks. And I, I remember being in Nicaragua with my now wife and, and uh, every day going to like the internet cafe to check my email to see if I got the job. And like the last day of the vacation, I check in, they, they offered me the job and I was like, oh, it was amazing. And then, you know, it was unpaid and all that, but it was, it was the best decision. It started my whole career in sports. Dude, you mentioned Nicaragua there now. You, are you Spanish? I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm, you, I'm Irish, Polish, but my wife is from Nicaragua. You speak Spanish? Uh, a little bit. I, I, I wish I knew more. I wish I was better at it. Uh, you know, she's helping making, making sure my kids can speak Spanish, but, uh, right. I wish I knew more. I know enough to get by with my, uh, with my mother and father-in-law. Nice dude. That's nice, yeah. man. The food you eat at the house is in Nicaraguan. Do you ever eat Nicaraguan? Food? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. We, What's uh, your favorite? I mean, well, my kids are like, you know, they eat gallo pinto all the time and That's they, the I, you're, you're down in Miami, right? So you, I'm Cuban from Miami, bro. Yeah, so, so there's a restaurant here style. called Los Ranchos. That's yeah. Nicaraguan style. So they have a Cayo Pinto, they have the churrasco, they have the tres leches, the best, bro. Next time you're in Miami, yeah. I'm gonna bring I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I, think I, I think I've been there because every time we go down to Miami, we go to that little area where all the Nicol little Nicaraguan restaurants are. And uh yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, but my, my wife and my mother-in-law are always making you know salpicon and all the other all the other dishes, and I like it. Nice, the thing dude. is though, when I started dating when we started dating back in the day, I was I, I I embraced it too much. I like quickly put on 25 pounds, just eating rice every day. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't something I was used to my whole life. I'd never eaten rice with every meal. And then I got, I was, I was eating, uh, I remember I would just be eating Maduro's just by the bowl. And then I realized like, bro. these things are terrible for you. <laughs> Don't. So now I'm like, the, I'm like the two spoons of rice with the milk to try to like level things out. To try to chill it out. Huh? Dude, yeah. MLB man. MLB is so interesting because it's winning on one side and i always feel it's losing on the other side i that's where i'm from i come from the from the baseball world man what did you start doing with mlb yeah so i uh i got the internship and uh what it was was i worked in the pr department and uh at the commissioner's office this is when bud Selig was the the commissioner and uh my number one job was get in there at 6 6 30 a.m which was way earlier as a because I was a college student. I was going into my junior right. year and uh, get in there at 6.30 a.m. and print and, and go through every website of every major newspaper in the United States. So I'd go to, oh, the, yeah. you know, uh, San Francisco Chronicle and I'd go to the New York Times and I'd go to the New York Daily News. And what I would do is have to copy and paste the stories, put them in a Microsoft Word, print out about every story from the night before, about 80, oh, 80 90 pages take that and fax it to Bud Selig in, in, uh, in Milwaukee. Cause his office was, wasn't in New York. It was in Milwaukee. So I, yeah, I would yeah, literally yeah. fax it to him. Then I would go and make about 
30, 40 copies of this, this digest and go hand it out to every executive every morning, which was cool because now you're walking into Rob Manfred. This is when he was the uh, COO or, or some, you know, he was part of yes. the, the executive suite, but he wasn't the commissioner, you know, right. every morning. Hey, Rob, how are you? Here you go. And, you know, and, and now at that point of the day, by 10 o'clock when I'm handing this thing out, like I know everything that happened in baseball the night before, whether I watched it or not. Like I knew every story. I knew everything going on. And uh, it was it was interesting. It was it was it's one of those jobs that doesn't exist anymore. No one. Right. No one does this anymore. No one's going into an office and printing out stories and copying paste. Like <laughs> it, I don't think it exists. Standing in front of the copy machine, trying to figure out how how to, a copy machine works and because it's right. always breaking and uh it, it teaches you teaches you a lot and uh it's it, it's interesting because i think you and i both like we straddle that line generationally of of like pre-internet but also having internet during like our how developing age how i'm 34 i'm Dude, 34 yeah, i'm 42 buddy so i got a little bit of, okay. i got, got a little bit on you but you're yeah. right because it's and it's a privilege man because we understand what it's like before it i don't know do you understand the beeper did you was the beeper there on your my dad corner? had the beeper yeah no i remember See? i think i had a beeper but i don't know if it ever worked like i think he just gave me his old beeper the pages <laughs> but i remember he the used, beeper the pages used to hit the codes the eight two three when you were thinking about a chick one four three when i love you buddy you see come on so but you're right man because it gives us perspective on both worlds right um how long were you in mlb for so I was there about two years and what, what, so I was there for a three month internship and then, um, you know, you're a big baseball fan. So it was when the, the Phillies played the, uh, the Rays in 2008, the world yes. series, that, that was the end of my internship. It was, it was basically through the, the end of the postseason, And it was down at, they were down in Philadelphia. And, uh, and my, as I said, my, my best friend lived down there. He went to temple and I was like, Hey, can I, can I come to the world series? And they're like, listen, we can't pay for your train, can't pay for your hotel, but if you find your way there, you you can come and and work, right? So I, of course, I'm like, all right, let me let me do that. And uh, I love that. As, to this to this day, I, I I was very broke. I I went and borrowed fifty bucks from my now brother in law, and and I took the train train down to to Philadelphia, went went to the Philadelphia game. Uh, this was the game that. I, don't remember the exact controversy, but I think it got to about the fifth inning and there was a monsoon. And yeah. I think the Phillies or the Rays might have been up and, and they, they were going to call the game. But then it was like that point where they didn't know if they should call it or resume it. And uh, and then I think they called it and then we just got a flood of, of bad press because people were saying like, oh, you can't just make up the rules on the fly here. But right, uh, right. during that very long rain delay, I was sitting in this back little room. I wasn't even watching the game on the field i was in the press box but in this little room with no windows watching on a tv and uh with a couple of guys from the pr department doing game notes so like you know this guy is if you know his next at bat will be his hundredth at bat in the postseason things like of that nature we we put together those notes and i'm, I'm just kind of a fly on the wall you know chiming in when i can and this woman came in and she goes you know can you hold my uh, can you hold my purse, my bag, and my umbrella, my my bag, my jacket, my umbrella? And I go, yeah, sure, no problem. I know who she was. She was the head of the American League. And so I now I'm just sitting there, basically through this whole rain delay and all this controversy. And my my main task is I'm just holding this woman's stuff. And I'm like, she she comes back 
two, three hours later, she goes, thank you very much and hand it to her. And she thanks me profusely and leaves and I go on my way and, and the rest is right. So then I go back to the office, work for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then her assistant quit just out of, out of the blue quit. Um, and she, when she, I found out, she came to see me, she called me into her office and she goes, Hey, I know you're an intern here. I can offer you a, a, a temp job, no benefits, but it's full time. And I'm, I'm now in my senior year of uh, going into my senior year of, uh, college and, and she's offering me $30,000, no benefits to work full time. And I'm, I'm at my senior year. And thankfully I was in a position that I was, uh, I was, um, way ahead on credits. Cause I had gone to school all summer, right. every summer, just kept grinding, kept grinding. So I was in a position that I needed, I don't know, 15 credits or something. I'm like, I'll just go to school at night. Cause I can't turn down a job at major league baseball. This is 2000 right. now, 2008, 2009. There's, you know, uh, the recession is happening. People are losing their jobs and I have this wonderful opportunity. I've, I've got to take it. So, uh, I did that. I was there for another about year and a half. So about two years total. And then, uh, they just never could really get me out of that, uh, non-benefit stage. And as a 22 year old with, you know, no family, really, I, I needed the health insurance. I needed those things that come along with having a corporate job like this. And, uh, right. HBO came through a, through a contact to MLB and, and then I, I made the jump over to HBO and it was, uh, it was the right move. It could, but, but, but working at baseball was amazing. 2009, yeah. I went to every, I, I worked on the road for, uh, the American league. So I was at every Yankee game home and away for the entire 2009 world series. No That's, way, dude. That is awesome, man. The, the Phil Cuzzy game, the last game at the Metrodome when he made the, really? the wrong call when he called it, he called it foul and it was a fair ball. Yep. Uh, all the way, all the way through, uh, you know, CC's amazing performances, A Rod's, you know, best moments as a best as a years Yankee. of his life. As, as, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> of uh, his life, bro. Yeah. Dude, so that was, that that was awesome. awesome. It was, it, it was it was like a dream come true, like you know, being around that team and being around baseball. It was it was amazing. HBO comes calling. When HBO comes calling, are you okay? Did you want to get into boxing, or was it just all sports in general? It, it was it was sports, and and for that, it was like an opportunity. It was like this big, huge company, you know, with all these cool programs. I didn't know I didn't know what I wanted at that point. I mean, I, I wanted to just stay at baseball for the rest of my life. All these all these guys had been there, you know, all these guys and, and gals that had been there for 20, 30 years. And I'm like, Oh, I could right. just, I could do that. Like I could, this guy's a VP. He just sat here for 20 years and he made it to that every year. He goes to the postseason, the world series. Like this is a dream job. And they, but they call come, they, they come calling and, uh, and he was interesting because I, my dad was a boxing fan as a kid. So, but uh, Tyson fan. Like I, I remember watching Tyson fights on, on pay-per-view and or right. on a little black box back in the day. And, uh, and I had just bought tickets to Kodo Foreman, Yuri Foreman at Yankee stadium. Cause I got right. him through someone at Yankee stadium. And, uh, I just bought tickets to go to my first fight ever. And then I interviewed for the job and got the job and it was an HBO fight. So it was, uh, it was interesting how I, I, I proactively went out of my way to, to, to go to a fight for the first time as an adult. And then, you know, I get this job in boxing and, and, uh, HBO is an amazing place to, to really learn. Cause I, I came in as an assistant and had a, a mentor and this guy raced alone who just, 
had worked at NBC. He worked with Jordan through the Olympics and DePaul and all these great places. And he just, he coached me for eight years to, to make me, you know, to, to let me flourish to what I've, you know, now been able to do at, at other companies. And I mean, it was the place to be. Greg, you being so young, man, because you're a baby. If you're 34, you're a baby. And where you're at right now, bro, do you look at yourself and go, are you the kind of guy that looks at, that looks at yourself and go, fuck, man, I could, I could do some real damage here, bro. I have, because I see it. I see superstar potential all over you, man. Do you feel that yourself or no? Oh, every day. Every day. And I, I've watched some of your stuff and I, I love your, your positivity and, and it's, and it, that's like the mindset that I, that I have every day. It's how, the mindset I have with my kids. Like I'm that rah, rah dad who like wakes up and I'm like, you're amazing. You know what you're going to do today? You're, you're going to crush it. That's what you're like. My nice. daughter, I, my daughter went to summer school today and she's only six. So she doesn't really understand that summer school is not fun. So, so but this morning she's like, <laughs> she's like, Oh, where's my class going to be? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Cause you're going to crush it and you're going to do amazing. And that, that's the mentality that, that I have. Like I, I, every day my, my, I could drive my wife a little crazy sometimes. Cause I'll, I just be like looking and thinking about the next thing and what, what's next and what I can do and the potential and talking about, she calls me a dreamer and that's, that's exactly what I am. But you know, the further you get into these things, like dreams become reality as long of course as you know of course and the hardest thing day, every day what i find greg the hardest thing with that is very few people can relate to me because i'm in a different i'm operating in a different stratosphere bro do you find that a lot uh, i do a little bit but uh i don't know because i'm one of those i i am the type where i I, I share it with my my wife and, and my kids and, and my closest confidants, but I'm not because I know I have like this very cool job that a lot of my friends are, you know, may not be envious of, but, you know, th they they work jobs where they're pushing paper, or, you know, working with their hands or, you know, doing other things that maybe they don't love. And they know I have this job. I don't. I try my best to not be the guy that comes in and be like, oh, you know, I just got home. Yeah. Houston and you know I was with you know Logan Paul and Mayweather last week like I, I just so I try not to uh I don't know I, I try not to dream too much around everyone because it it just it can sound a little boastful you know and and yeah, that's never no, what I'm and, going for exactly and it's hard to relate like you said man majority majority of people don't take the risk majority of people don't get the luck either because a lot of this stuff is it's weird man it's it's luck you mentioned your daughters, dude. You seem like a phenomenal dad, bro. Like you're really, really, really into your into your kids. Do you wish you had a boy? Uh, there, there's times where I do, but there's there's uh, I wouldn't change the way our our journey has gone at all. That's for sure. So I have two step kids. I have a I have a boy and a girl that I that I, I inherited in many ways from my right. my my wife had two kids and. I embraced that role as a, as a very young man because I knew what I was stepping into, but I was in a position in my life where I, I knew, I knew I needed some balance. And this just happened to be the woman that I was, I fell in love with that I was falling in love with. And kids weren't going to stop me from, from finding out if she was my soulmate, which, you know, I, I did find out. And uh, so I, I have a boy, you know, I, and I've, and I've guided him through so many moments in his life. Got it, uh, got it. So, and then, and then my, we had a baby and then um, 
you know, we had a boy, but we, we had lost him sort of, you know, during pregnancy and, and oh. it wasn't, it, it wasn't meant to be. And now, you know, we, uh, we, I have two beautiful little girls that, you know, they're, they're everything to me. So, you know, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change anything about how no, of course, you know, of course. our journey has gone. Greg, how old were you when you got married? I was 28, I believe. I believe bad, I think we're dude. coming up on our seventh anniversary. No way, dude. So, so I got married. Me. I was looking. I got married at 37, bro. Okay. I got married at 37. I have a, I have a girl who's two years old. Okay. Like being a girl, dad. But nope. then I have a, a boy who's just turned eight months, man. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you, bro. And that's, I could already tell the differences between one and the other. I, ironically, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids. To me, I wanted to be like Oprah. And have everybody's <laughs> kids be my kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's interesting when a man, one of the best things, and as I spoke more in, in colleges and in schools, Greg, and I into teams and organizations, it's funny how little we prepare men for the realities of life. Yeah. It's like they prepare us for like algebra, for <laughs> these weird things, but they don't prepare us to deal with women while they're on their menstrual cycle <laughs> or they don't prepare us to prepare women postpartum. They don't prepare us. Like it's so many things that you got to kind of figure out on your own, which is crazy, man. How did you growing up in the ranks of where you were? How have you been able to find marriage, bro? Has it been good for you? Have you been like, you know what? I was born for this. Have you had to make certain adjustments with your personality? Anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has to make adjustments. It's, it's a great question though. Cause it's, you know, some of it's, it's like how you control your emotions. Like I remember like as a kid, I was like a real, I, you know, I went through a lot as like in my childhood and I went, it was a bit of a hothead at times. I remember when I was in high school playing football, I was like, I was the guy that was always like re ready to step in and, and throw hands. I was, I was that guy. And then, you know, as, as I matured, you, you just mature in your, your twenties. And, uh, I was always like, I, I said it before, like, having, you know, lost my mom and dad young and, and seeing what my dad had went through. And he coached me in such a way to be like a good man. Like that was always nice. his thing. Like he, he had always said, you know, be a good man, treat, treat women, treat women, you know, with the utmost respect, you know, never speak out of hand to, to a woman. And, and, uh, and then he also taught me the last thing, which was like, as, as he lost his ability to work with his hands uh, and that was his, trade he had always told me find a job where you can work with your mind because it's the last thing to go and that that was true in his case um and but uh, you know with marriage it just you know i i feel like you said born for it i was like i was i was born to be a dad like i i really was like i wanted to have kids especially i was like i wanted to have kids young because who knows what's ever going right. to happen of you course. Know? Of and course. uh and i wanted to be like the able-bodied dad that you know is always around and doing things and able to just run up and jump and go to a playground and run around like crazy or, you know, coach a soccer team or coach a baseball team or do whatever. And, uh, you know, Greg, have you coached them in anything yet? Sports wise? I haven't. No, not yet. My daughter, my six year old's really into gymnastics. So, uh, you know, but, uh, with my, my stepson, I was, I was always a, like, I went to every single baseball game, never missed the baseball game when he was playing baseball, but I wasn't a coach. Uh, you weren't a coach. Dude, no. I've I've worked with and I've spoken to a ton of girls' organizations and stuff like that. There is nothing in the world like coaching girl athletes. They're the best. They are the yeah. best. Oh, and when they're young, they probably take instruction they, much better, right? 
they go through fire <laughs> for you, dude. Yeah. There's no complaining. They're super ultra competitive, man. It's not like the kids. And the funny part is that women know how to raise women. They're real good right. at that. With the boys, there's huge struggles. That's why you see a lot of... That's why you see it. That's why you sit there now and you say, like, man, I'm 34 years old. I'm crushing it and I'm doing this. And the people who who aren't is because, especially the men, is because there's a big deficiency in how to raise boys and then right, turn them right. into men because it's weird, man. It's almost like, oh, there's this machismo and this tough bullshit attitude. No vulnerability, no honesty because you got to keep that front and right. then no adversity. Right, right. Which is what we need. You're winning because you have adversity all over your life. You obviously you didn't pick it, but you were able to come out of it in a certain way. Yeah. That's why you're winning now. If not, you wouldn't even be close, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's like you have to <clears throat> test you have to not test them, but you have to let kids fail. Like I know that's like a big thing, like you know, people write books about it and whatnot, but it's so hard, especially with it, you know, you you if you have a privileged life where you you know you don't have to worry about paying the mortgage and, you know, getting food on the table, like you, it's hard to let your kids fail because, you know, how, how do you set them up for that? And, uh, it, it's, it's so interesting you say that. Cause you, you see it like a lot, like in my wife's family, like you see the two different cultures, like being in a, you know, white family from New Jersey. Right. And my wife's family being first generation from Nicaragua and the, you know, being tough on kids and like not showing that vulnerability. Whereas like, I'm the complete opposite where I'm like the, the guy who's like, out there, you know, kindergarten graduation, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and but not and, the machismo. Like, I, I have the machismo a little bit deep down in me, but I'm not afraid to show my vulnerability when it comes to like my kids and you know, that's the important. Things that no, it's love, important, you know? bro. Especially, especially now, man. When you start, you make that transition now to the zone. I had no idea what the zone was. Yeah, but once I heard about it. I was like, man, this is super interesting. I've had a, is it Ed Hearn? Is that his name? Eddie Hearn, yeah. Eddie Hearn. I've had him on this show. Great dude. Did you work with him? Yeah, I worked very closely with Eddie. And uh, it, it was it was fascinating because I was at HBO for years and years. And, you know, having that, you know, it's a very comfortable place to be. You know, you keep getting promotions. You keep getting more money. Do really cool things. You get comfortable with the people you're working with. But I like, like I said before, I always had that thing in me where I was looking for the next opportunity, right? The way to make HBO into my springboard. And HBO got out of boxing. They were getting out of boxing. The zone had just signed Canelo. And I was at a, I was at a conference and this this guy that I worked with at, at HBO had jumped over to the zone about a month or two prior and he said, Hey, I want to link you up with my boss. He's he's trying to hire someone at at the higher level can you, uh, are you interested? And I said, yes. Cause I knew at that point I was helping prep the release to say we were getting out of boxing. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Cause I don't know. <laughs> I might get awesome. fired tomorrow. I don't know. That <laughs> so is awesome. I meet this, I meet, uh, I meet my former boss, this guy, Chris LaGentle. Uh, he's now the head of, uh, comms at, um, the C the chief communications officer at WWE. And he, he uh, I mean, I'm in a bar, formal job interview I've ever had. So we're just sitting in a bar at a couple beers and basically leave the, the bar that night with a job offer to, to come join the zone. And I awesome. jump over to the zone and, uh, it was, it was such a liberating experience. And I say this all the time, especially now being over at Showtime, but it's like going from HBO, very, 
long tenured organization in boxing. They're, they're the pinnacle of the gold standard of boxing for 30 years. They get out of the sport and now there's upstart app to zone. People don't even know how to pronounce it. Days in, uh, you know, all these things. Right, 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 right. Uh, they come in and they go like, we're going to stream it. Like this is, this is the way boxing is going going and we're going to spend a lot of money to do it. And we got Canelo and it was like liberating because the structure that was there at HBO, there was structure at the zone, but not quite as much because everybody was learning on the fly together. And they brought in all these very smart people from different areas of, you know, Goldman Sachs and Apple and all these people together. And it was just, uh, it was a wild, it was a wild two years. Uh, and it was liberating because it gave me the chance to do things that I didn't really have the chance to do at HBO, like take risks and, and do big things like, you know, we, we just had wild ideas. And if you rose your hand and said, Hey, I've got this crazy idea to, you know, put up a, uh, a huge hundred foot, uh, screen at the border and, and stream the fight in Mexico for, you know, fans. And they'd be like, all right, cool. Let's do it. You know, no, no one ever said no to a crazy idea. And, and that's what made it really fun. And, uh, working with Eddie, Eddie's the kind of guy where he's also, he embraces, he embraces disruption, which was the best thing about the zone, just like disrupting the the marketplace. Greg, how do you feel then about Triller and the whole thing and what's happened to them with the YouTuber versus TikTok stuff? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I well, I think the TikTok you YouTuber thing was outside of Triller, but I I embrace everyone who's trying to give it a go because I I love over my 10, 12 years in boxing now. I've I, I've just fell in love with the sport in a way that I couldn't have as a kid. And, right. and it's, there's so many good people in the sport, especially the athletes who, who have, you know, put their time and effort into becoming pro athletes and the sacrifice that goes along with it. Uh, that listen, if, if companies like chill are going to come along and, you know, hand out, hand out big bags to, to people to do it, uh, you know, all the power to them. I think it's exciting. And, and I, I frankly, as a fan, like I liked, I watched the Tyson Jones one, the first one where they had Wiz and all these other musical artists. Like, I think there's a place for that in boxing. People have tried it before, and and I think right. they found a way to to do it better than those who have done it before. When you you're there at the zone, I met you. I emailed you first, and then I saw you briefly at the Paul Anderson Gibb fight. Right, I'm here right, in Miami. Here, man. Yep. And that event was done at a special place that doesn't exist here, Miami. That was all built. The Meridian, yeah. The Meridian, yeah. That, that, yeah. That. Go there. I'll take a picture there right now. No, it's empty. I, I, I was just I was in Miami for uh, the Logan Paul Mayweather fight. And, right. And I I got out of the airport and I'm taking that little ride down to Fifth Street Gym and uh and I drive past. I'm like, look. The ch it's right next to uh, the Children's Museum or whatever, Children's right? Museum, yeah, man. Right, right. And then and now there's nothing there. And I, nothing, I, rem dude. I remember going uh, to the Meridian with um, Demetrius Andrade when we first announced, because he was the headliner that day. And we were announcing that Demetrius had just re-signed with, with uh, DAZN. And I remember going there and they were building in. We were walking around. And, and I just remember, like, I, I think I asked a couple of times, I'm like, how does this make any sense? Like, yeah, how does it make sense? And and then the, the builder, the contractor was explaining, it's actually cheaper to, to just take all this equipment and just go around the city or go around the world or the country, excuse me, and just build up pop-up arenas for a couple nights and 
take sponsorship money in and it's not as expensive as it looks, but that was quite a, quite an event. Quite an event. First time doing it. And I remember just the way it was set up, man, it was awesome because the first thing was at Brickle city center for the first talk and whatever. Then they did it on the beach, the little pop-up thing on the beach and on the boardwalk there and the South beach. And then the fight, and you could tell there with the energy and what was coming that this YouTube wave with any Paul brother is just amazing, man. And I, my theory with that is every time a Paul brother wins, the internet wins, which means people win. That's how I feel about it, dude. How do you view that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, and it's, it's interesting how quickly it's progressed, too, because it's like, the, you know, when Jake Paul was fighting Anderson Gabe, I remember, you know, the day I took him to Super it was right before the Super Bowl. So I took him to Super Bowl Radio Row, which is, you know, the hot spot of the hot media, spot. right? There's hundreds of radio stations there. You can essentially walk in with a celebrity and get him on any show or, you know, lines shows up. And I remember we had pitched him to ESPN, Fox Sports, Barstool, uh, every, everywhere you can think of, all the top shows. And, and he wasn't he wasn't embraced the way he is now just two years later like there were a lot of people who just said no and you'd walk in and we did we did an hour hour and a half of interviews and i remember we were trying to hustle him around other places um but he just didn't have that that seal of approval yet and he beats anderson gibb pretty handedly but no one really knew gibb no one and then and then and then he goes and this is now pandemic times right he he flattens nate robinson and and that was the moment on the undercard of tyson jones with that huge audience million plus that people were like oh uh, this, this kid can fight and uh, there's a problem and, yeah this is right, a problem here. the problem child and and it, it's amazing now because now he's 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 fighting on showtime in in a couple weeks in eight weeks or so and it's it's amazing to have watched that that to, Dude, to have been there is. at the first american event the the, the fight against gib and how he was received to how he's being received just, I don't know, 18 months later. It's, it's really tremendous from my side because now everybody wants a piece of him. Now everybody yep. wants either to, to have him on their show or they want to fight him. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's amazing. Cause he, uh, he really works. He really works hard. And uh, you know, his, 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 you know, is he as talented as, you know, Canelo? No, he's not, but, he he works hard and he's figured out a way to bring eyeballs to boxing and that's that's what's a thousand to me. percent, dude. I thought so. I got lucky, Greg. I went to every single Mayweather. So I lived in Vegas for four years. Okay. I uh, my trajectory is Cuba, Spain, Spain, Miami. Biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball by far. Played a little baseball. I am. I am by far. I'll tell you why later. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest failure. Then from there, back to Miami. J-Lo discovers me. I'm modeling, puts me in a show called that she was producing called South Beach with Vanessa Williams. I get my SAG card. I go, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to go become an actor in Los Angeles. So I lived in a car for six months in Los Angeles. Wow. Didn't know a single person, Greg. I get, there's a real famous theater called the Groundlings Theater. It's an improv okay. theater. The guy who created that, guy by the name of Gary Austin, in the bio sheet that Wilhelmina gave me out there in Los Angeles, it said Gary Austin, founder of the Growlings, which I didn't know what that was, but under it, it said when Helen Hunt won her Academy Award for as good as it gets, she thanked mm-hmm. 
So I oh, wow. this guy has, I go, this guy has to be good. Six months of living in my car. I don't. I haven't spoken to, probably to nobody other than the people at the gym. I was sneaking into the Equinox in West Hollywood. I was showering, shaved there. Greg, when I went to that guy's class, he's wearing a retro Houston Astros baseball jacket. Okay. I go, I, I got this guy. I, 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 I don't know too much, but I know I got this guy. Dude, yeah. we, hit, we hit it off super well. Taught me stage presence. Taught, taught me stuff that I would use now. I struggled in acting because I didn't have vulnerability. Okay. I got that way later. So I was robotic on a lot of things, and that wasn't my passion. But ironically, I become a celebrity baseball coach. Okay. Kind of working with mindset, and I had, and I figure out that I have the ability to tell very powerful, wealthy people that they're bullshitting with their kids, and they got to change it. And right. In a right. way, like, like serious, like super, super big people. I say, listen, if you don't come see your kid at least once every two sessions that I work with him, I'm not working with him anymore. Right. Because right. I want him to see you. I don't want to see a bodyguard. I don't want to see a nanny, a maid. I want him to see you. And those kind of old school principles really pumped, put me in a different place. After six years, I was like, I'm not an actor. It's obvious. It wasn't my passion. But I moved to Las Vegas. And I start off as a promoter in a little club called Hide in the Bellagio. Okay. And dude, from there, I went to VP of customer development. And I, on a four-year run, unless you were one of the owners of, a, of the big companies, I was probably the most, I was one of the most powerful guys in Las Vegas. And then I had, I lived at the Mandan Oriental, which is now the Waldorf Astoria there at the Aria. I lived there. I had the highest theoretical right. player in Vegas at the time. You know what theoretical play is? No, I don't know what that is. What is that? Are you a gambler? Do you gamble at all? I do, I do but I'm, I'm not. I don't know what that means. I, I play okay, some blackjack so, and play some poker. Okay. Poker doesn't count because poker is not considered a table game. So Vegas rates you, Greg, on this formula, which is called theoretical play. Average hand times... Okay. How long you spend playing equals your theoretical play. So the, obviously, the higher the hand, the longer you're at the tables, the more Vegas says, this is our guy. We love you. We love you. We right, love you. Right, we love right. you. We love you. So I okay. had. That's how so I get my, the comps in Atlantic City. Right. right. Exactly. A thousand <laughs> percent. So my guy from Peru, average, he was a roulette guy. He averaged 330,000 a spin. Jesus okay, Christ. so we had I put I sat probably third row Canelo Mayweather, Mayweather Mosley, May, all of them, bro. And I just sat, and I'm not really being you know about it. Just my guy was just the guy, so that was part of his comms, part of his whole thing, man. There's nothing like the energy of fighting, the the vibe of it. What I think makes you special, man, and why again I think you're perfect for what you're doing is because. Here comes a guy in you that's super equipped to do what you do mentally and operationally. But when you add that you have a heart of goal and you actually care about people, now we're talking about, because if there's people that need a guy like you, are boxers, man. And I'm not talking about YouTube boxers. I'm talking about real boxers that like come from nothing, man. Yeah. How that heart, man. Do you notice that makes you separate from everybody else? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that, first of all. But I, I think it's I think it's like a relatability thing, too. I, I think it's just being able to – there's so many people, you know, not in just boxing, but in, in a lot of these sports that, you know, you walk around in a, a suit and tie all the time and you're very, you know, you dictate to them more than you talk to them. Um, and and over the years, I've found it to just being relatable. and Because as a PR guy, right, in, in this – my job is, you know, setting up interviews and setting up media blocks and getting guys who are now cutting 20, 30 pounds in training camp over eight weeks, which is a very hard thing to do, to, to sit down and do two hours worth of interviews and, you know, grind over the same questions and say, and sometimes you just have to relate to them and go like, listen, I understand, I understand what you're doing, but, you know, whenever it works for you, let's take, let's work on your schedule. Let's, let's figure out yeah, a way that works yeah. best for you. Right. Like maybe it's not sitting down and doing, you know, three hours of interviews. Maybe it's, you know, giving back in your community. Maybe it's, you know, so I, I like to talk to, talk to guys like that. Like we have a, a guy that's about to fight <clears throat> September 11th on Showtime, Stephen Fulton Jr. He's 122 pound champ. Uh, he and I've, you know, become friends since I've been at Showtime and I've been working on his fights and, you know, the other day he calls me and he's just like, I'm just trying to think about ways to give back. Like that, that's what I want to do during this camp. And, and, nice. you know, of course I'll do the interviews. Of course I'll do whatever I want, but like September, he's fighting on September 11th. He's like, I, I want to do something around September 11th. I want to do something around back to school. Uh, you know, th these are the things I want to do. And he, he, he gave me that launching pad. And now I, I like, those are the things I really enjoy doing. Cause it's like, I could set up interviews with ESPN and right. Yahoo and all right. these other places that, you know, that's just that's just part of the job but being able to think about how to do something really cool to give back you know to take guys to children's hospitals or boys and girls club we're trying to take Jermel Charlo to a boys and girls club next week in in San Antonio like those those are the things that really you know separate separate you know some of these these guys from others and that's you know having that that heart of gold like you said to to give back and do things because all of those things boost your presence and, and your, your brand. It, it makes it, it gives you another you know layer to the brand that isn't just knocking people out for a living. 1000% dude. 1000% man. Greg, what's your favorite type of music? My favorite type of music. I'm a rap fan. Who's your favorite rap person or group? My favorite rapper. I mean, it's gotta be Jay-Z all time. Probably. Jay -Z. But, uh, favorite Jay-Z song. Give me one. Favorite. That pops <sighs> Probably, I was I heart of the city was the first thing that came into my mind, but uh, feeling it, I was listening to Reasonable Doubt with my friends this weekend over and over. So, so I, I got it? the Reasonable Doubt ones. Feel, feeling feeling is a it, great eh? a great song that that's probably one of my favorites. Um, and then now now I, I listen I try to listen to the the new rap that the kids are listening to now. It's it's, it's good running music, high BPMs, <laughs> just like it's good. It's, there's not much substance to it, but that's what you need when you're just trying to like run a 90 Absolutely, bro. Absolutely, man. Greg, I, I think, dude, I, bro, not even in five years, man, you're going to be huge, bro. You're, I see you, man, so special as a person and what you have. It's just, and I'm so proud of you with everything you've done. It's just short amount of time and stuff like that. To me, it's just, it's amazing, dude. Any questions for me, man? Anything I can help you with before I let you go? No, I think, I, I think I'm good. But I mean, I, I really appreciate you you having me on because this isn't, this is, I think, the first time I've ever done an interview on the other side. And and it's it's something that I've 
I've I, like you had said before, you talking to like kids and talking to, you know, going to high schools and stuff and doing those sorts of things. It's your, your profession. And I had the opportunity to do it a couple of years ago. I went to my stepson's uh, high school, which more inner city, Jersey city school. And, you know, had a chance to sit down and talk with, with the kids there and go, you know, I, I tell them sort of my story. I go, Hey, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, I went to this school and I worked at MLB and HBO and DAZN and yeah, it's, but underneath that, underneath the the facade of you know being a, a white suburban kid there's there's a story and it just lets you know and as i tell them my story they they start to you know mouths drop and they go like damn like and and it just makes you realize that everybody has you know you can't judge a book by its cover and, and that's yeah. a cliche but like everyone has something going on and and people people like you and i and and you know countless other people can use that that message to to help the next wave of, of, you know, youth, like, right. Like you said, like young men need better role models. And you, if you don't get it at home, you need to get it somewhere. And if you don't, you know, it's, it sets us on a path toward destruction, you know, a thousand so, percent. I'm, dude, dude, I'm proud I'm... of what you're doing, man. And that's what, that's why I decided to, to come on with you. Cause I, I really love what you're doing. And the, you know, your mentality is the mentality I bring into to my work and my you know life every single day. I love it, dude. I love it, dude. All right, man. Don't go anywhere. Hold on. I'm going to say bye to you the right way, okay? Hold on one second. Cool. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 